You're listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. Hello, everybody. It's another episode of Metal Matters. And uh, for everyone out there, just uh, you know, pay attention. Uh, there's going to be some changes coming up in the next uh, you know, few weeks. And uh, just keep your eyes out. And uh, I can't really talk about it so much right now, but I just want to let everyone know that you know, things are going to be a little different going forward. And uh, stay tuned. But for this week, in a way, I guess it's related to the episode I did with Ralph about funeral doom. Though I wouldn't necessarily consider Burning Witch a funeral doom band. Like, would you, uh, would you agree with that, Randy? Yeah, I wouldn't call them. Uh, I don't think they fit in that classic funeral doom category. Um, you know, kind of like you, you and Ralph brought up the band Winter, which you know we both love, and uh, we've interviewed uh, people from that band recently in uh, the Godin project. And uh, yeah, it's like there's definitely strands of that of the funeral doom thing, but I wouldn't call Burning Witch a, a funeral doom band at all. Yeah, there's like a very uh, punk sort of element to it in a lot of ways, you know. And, uh, you know, the same, they have like a, I don't know, just like a more punk like kind of vibe to it, I guess, as opposed to like this like, you know, gothic metal kind of thing, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that, man, for sure. But before we kick that off, I just want to say that uh, as a result of, my education that I got from talking to Ralph on that episode, I started uh, checking out some really cool bands, which I wasn't aware of. And, uh, you know, first and foremost, there was that band Atramentis, who released that record Stygian last year, which I've been all about that band, man. Ever since uh, Ralph turned me on to it, I was like, man, this is like some epic darkness, you know? <laughs> Yeah, man, that's that's a, a cool record. Like, you know, we're, we're talking a little bit about it before. I kind of came to that over the summer. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of that kind of music, too. Uh, I'm not steeped in knowledge of it either. Um, but there's definitely a handful of those bands that are go-to bands for me. And when I was listening to a lot of those bands over the summer, that just kind of, they kind of cropped up as like something you should check out. If you're into this, check out this. And uh, I heard that the Atramentous record and was blown away. It's incredible. Yeah, I, I, I like, I like this style of music. Like, I'm not, I just was never that, like, updated on it. You know, I didn't, I didn't know what all the new bands were. I didn't really follow it as closely. And, uh, but yeah, now actually for the last couple weeks, that's I've been deep into it, man. There's a, two other bands I really enjoy. Um, this band Mismore, which, um, they're, they sort of are on more of like a like a blackened funeral doom with like a diy kind of vibe to it and uh they have a whole they have a few records out and i've been checking out all of them and then uh there's another sort of blackened funeral doom band it's a project i think it's a one-man project called nort are you familiar with those bands yes uh yeah well ms moore i'm only familiar by name and uh and uh, you know you sent me some links earlier in the week i unfortunately haven't had the chance to really check them out i thought that was more of like a straight kind of like black metal type thing. I didn't know that it was like more of a funeral doom kind of feel to it. Um, but I'll definitely be checking that stuff out more. Nor I haven't, yes, I've been aware of for a while. Uh, back in the days of, uh, you know, stealing music off Soul Seek, 
um, I got like their whole catalog. Oh, um, cool. So I get in, I get into them like you know they might have releases. I think I have like four or five, at least four or five releases of theirs. So yeah, man, I've, I've been into them for a while. They're Norwegian, correct? I think so. I, th- I think there's. I know there's. It's a Scandinavian based operation. I don't know if specifically if it's Norwegian or Swedish or you know Finnish or whatever. Right. Right. Yeah. And then uh, as a result of all that, you know, I mean, I, I regularly listen to Evoken, but I got even heavier into them. And, uh, and then oh, yeah. uh, once again, reactivating my, uh, my love for My Dying Bride, too. And uh, it's another band I've really been d- diving back into the last few weeks. Yeah, they're cool, too, man. I, I got, you know, kind of lost touch over the years with them. But, I mean, early, early on... Uh, I don't know, late '80s, early '90s. Whenever their first records were coming out, I I had the first couple of records. I bought them on cassette, <laughs> and then I just kind of lost touch with them, you know. And I heard some of the stuff that's a little too, I guess, kind of or- orchestral for yeah. my taste. Than mm-hmm. that, um, although I love that element in, in a lot of the stuff. Yeah, you know, my I always go to my go-to bands for the funeral room stuff. It's always Evoken, Mournful Congregation. Uh, Thurgathon, which is one of the OGs of that scene, an you know, old peaceful uh, band. I think they put out one record. And uh, more recently, like back to earlier this year, when I got into Atramentus, I also got into uh, one of the legendary bands of that genre called Skepticism. Yes. Um, my friend Peter, our, our mutual friend, Peter Ferris, uh, turned me on to them. I'd heard the name, but I never checked them out. And their first two albums, uh, I was running those kind of nonstop for a few weeks back in the fall um but yeah man there's there's a lot of good stuff like that and i'm finding more and more of it as i go so you know we just start swapping some uh some links with that kind of stuff and, and this is like the greatest thing in the world about like being involved like in this type of music you know what i mean where it's like you know or or whatever type of music you're into where it's just like you think that you've heard everything and then you discover this corner that you haven't even explored and that's you know, right. I, I'm not. I'm not trying to. I've never considered myself like a know-it-all about anything, and I just get excited when I discover new shit. So even though a lot of these bands are old and are considered, you know, like iconic within that genre, to me, they're they're relatively new. So I'm excited. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. That's why we keep doing this, man. You know, yeah, man. there's, yeah, there's always stones to be turned over with, with cool shit. You know. Yeah. Um. Uh, I just want to mention one other <laughs> cool thing that we can start talking about uh, Burning Witch. Uh, did you did you ever have you ever been to the Channel in Boston? I know this is like very ancient history right now. Yeah, uh, I went there a bunch of times for sure. Uh, early nineties, I wasn't like going to the Channel, you know, in like eighty two, <laughs> but uh, I've, I've been to the Channel. Yep. There's a podcast out called. Boston venue, the channel, and it goes huh. into the entire history from the beginning to like when it, you know, finally the demise of that venue too. And, uh, fucking totally interesting, man. I burned through the entire season. It's like 10 episodes or something like that. And, um, I, I've only been there four times because, uh, like I, I, uh, only, you know, I'm, I was like of that age where in the late 80s, I was able to, to go there because I was going to school in Boston. But, right. you know, back then, uh, 
you know, I wasn't I wasn't as in the know as I probably should have been. Like, I didn't really know any of the local like punks or you know metalheads or anything. So, uh, I usually went to these things by myself. And from where I was living, it took like hours to get there because of the trains and the shitty Boston public transportation system that they have. <laughs> and this place was like in the middle of fucking nowhere. Like the first time I went there, I took a train. I got out at South Station and I walked. I don't know how many blocks to just like desolation. You know, it was like Escape from New York style, like darkness. Right. And I thought for sure, I'm like, this is how I'm going to get killed. I'm going to die tonight. This, someone's going to stab and fucking I'll disappear and never be found. So I only, you know, and it was just easier to go to Bun Raddy's or The Rat. So I really didn't venture out to um, the channel. You know, and I wasn't like, uh, you know, a guy who was like deep into the scene where I had all these friends and we could drive cars down there or anything like that, which, you know, some of the people I let, I met later, you know, like my good friend Taz and, you know, all these other people were, yeah, they were, they were part of a group of people that would drive down there and I just didn't know them back then. But yeah, right. this is a uh, great, if you, if you want to hear some ancient history about the way things were, you know, before, uh, you know, when, when life was it was like a little bit in the shadows this type of thing uh i recommend checking this podcast out boston venue the channel very informative it's interesting it almost uh has like a almost like a true crime feel to it like when you're listening to it because there is a lot of like underworld connections with the mafia and murder and all this other stuff it's fucking awesome Oh, wow. Yeah, dude, I got to check that out. I love anything like that. Well, yeah. you know, they could just dump bodies right in the river, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, right. they, Open the back door and throw some bodies out. They should make them, they really should make a movie out of it, you know? I don't know. I mean, I, I'd go see it. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I, I've been, I went there a few times and I had the same feels like, you know, a weird, tucked away, like, run-down industrial corner of the city, like, right on that river or a canal or whatever and it was uh just a dark it was like almost being like in like birmingham england or something, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah i'll check that out for sure man yeah thanks for the heads up on that yeah so if anyone's out you know out there uh especially if you live in the massachusetts area you might be interested in checking that out yeah. all right man so uh burning witch uh this band's output is so small and obscure that I guess as a classic record, we can actually um, reference uh, the crippled Lucifer, Seven Psalms for Our Our Lord of Light, which is actually a collection of their material, which is a two EPs. So I guess we're gonna, yes. uh, that's what we should talk about, because I guess this band only existed uh, between 1995 and 1998, and they were based in uh, the Seattle, Washington area. So, uh, you know, mid nineties, mid to late nineties, uh, you know, though they were not a funeral doom band, I, I would think they were probably uh, aware of and inspired by some of those bands as well as, you know, bands like corrupted, maybe, you know, winter once again, uh, that kind of stuff. Sure. You know, side two of my war by black flag, I think comes to mind maybe. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, man. All that, you know, even, um, you know, like uh, I Hate God, Grease, Buzz Oven, uh, even some black metal stuff, too. Like I just was watching one of the live sets that's available by Burning Witch, and the bass player had an Emperor shirt on. 
you know. Um, and that was like, you know, 1996 or whatever. When it wasn't necessarily that cool to be an emperor back then, you know. So those guys definitely had their, you know, were well dug into the underground doom and black metal scenes. Yeah, the vocals definitely have a black metal quality to it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And, uh, yeah, yeah, they definitely have a, a punk aesthetic. And they're kind of like a thing all, all to themselves. And I mean, you know, they formed out of the ashes of uh, the band Thor's Hammer, which was another band uh, from that area with a lot of the same players that uh, also follows that same path uh, sonically. With a very small output, like four songs. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to, uh, you know, make a distinction here about the Thor's Hammer that we're talking about. There's uh, Thor's Hammer with two R's. Thor's Hammer. That this is the band that we're we're referring to, the one that featured Stephen O'Malley and uh, in it, and and not the Thor's Hammer with one R, which is a a, a racist uh, far right. Um, <laughs> You know, white power band. So let's just make that distinction right now. <laughs> yeah, well, I was unaware of that band until you mentioned it the other day to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you're trying to make it sound like I'm the one who knows about these things. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I am. <laughs> yeah, definitely not referring to that Thor's hammer. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I'm sure if you're if you're a Burning Witch fan, you probably already know who we're talking about, but if you're, if you know, you're, you're kind of just getting, getting into this to check it out or whatever, go back and check out Thor's hammer with two R's <laughs> that released the record on uh, Southern Lord. Uh, it was really great in this vein of uh, noisy doom, uh, funeral doom kind of stuff. It's also kind of a classic record for sure. Actually, uh, I, I heard of Thor's hammer before I heard of burning witch and, uh, like, but it wasn't like I knew about them while they were active. It was like maybe 1999, and uh, my old band was playing. Well, actually, we frequently played in Plattsburgh, New York, which is uh, like way up state New York, uh, close to the Canadian border. And there was a group of guys there that put these shows on, and uh, I want to say it was like the Mason Street House or something. And for a couple of years their garage like hosted some incredible shows and it was like you know like a lot of the relapse bands play there brutal truth burnt by the sun um you know uh bongzilla played there like all these bands from that late right. 90s era that were like smaller would play shows at this dude's garage which had like a legit like pa in it and like well i mean not like you know i mean it had a good pa compared to like actually some venues that we played at and right. <laughs> yeah, there, there was definitely uh, a, a small enclave of, uh, of kids that were just that were into it. They were into like, you know, just dark, heavy music like that. And um, we one of the times we played up there, uh, you know, we stayed you know, we would stay over. It was like DIY, like, you know, vegan stew style sleep on the floor. Um, that was the vibe. You know, and also right. members of this band called uh, the Drown, um, not the Drowning Man. That's a different band. <laughs> the Dying Game Theory. 
the Dying Game Theory was the name of the band that the guys in that some of the guys in the house were in that band at the time, and that was the unsung Canadian style late '90s hardcore band that was like that metal hardcore thing that happened in the late nineties that had like maybe bands like Ire, I would put ISIS in that realm, you know, cause in the beginning they were very much playing in a DIY, like hardcore scene. But, uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. There was that thing that happened in the late nineties and, and this is not too far away from what we're talking about, even though I know this is a big tangent, but it's like slow, heavy, uh, using samples, uh, the imagery had like more of like an esoteric like look to it. Uh, you know, there's like synths, like little noise, like all that kind of stuff. And uh, that was basically what the what the uh, Dying Game Theory sound like. And they didn't release any records. They had like a demo. And um, the funny thing about that is when I was in Poland on tour, uh, maybe a couple of years later, someone had bootlegged the Dying Game Theory demo and like a collection of anodyne songs onto a bootleg cassette and was selling it. <laughs> Is that fucking cool? Like that's so weird and random and just awesome. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> that's weird, man. So anyway, these guys were like tied into this whole thing, this like slow, evil, like sound. And uh, that's, the, I remember like, hanging out after the show, like just chilling, like trying to fall asleep on the floor. And the dude was playing the Thor's hammer record. And I was, I thought it was like the most evil thing I'd ever heard, man. I'm like, man, this is like fucking, you know, yeah, incredible, you know? And that's how I got introduced <laughs> to them. And then he's like, Oh, if you like that, you should check out burning witch. And that's how I got hip to all this other burning witch stuff that was happening. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. That's an interesting uh, pathway to get there. Uh, yeah, I, I was kind of led to Burning Witch, believe it or not, by uh, a straight edge band from Seattle in 1988 called Brotherhood. <laughs> yeah, because Greg Anderson was <laughs> uh, in that, right? Correct. And then uh, you know, I, I was really into that stuff back in '86, '87, '88. Into that scene quite a bit, checking out all those bands, and uh, you know, so Brotherhood was a band I checked out, and then I kind of followed Greg's career through, you know, after Brotherhood, he did a band called Statement, and then a band called Galleon's Lap, and inevitably ended up doing one of my favorite bands of all time, Engine Kid, which we've talked about in uh, one of our Deep Cuts episodes. Um, so I always followed Greg Anderson's career, you know, and uh, you remember Resound Magazine? Of course, yeah. That was relapse like catalog slash magazine they used to do, which I loved getting that in the mail, yeah, you know. Definitely. Um, I remember getting an issue of that and seeing an ad for something called Southern Lord Records. And they, you know, looked cool. I was in the bands like I Hate God and Grief and all that kind of stuff. And like I seen this ad and it had listed an I Hate God 70 called Coming Soon, called 99 Miles of Bad Road, which that release never happened. But also, they had uh, an ad for the Thor's Hammer, which was Southern Lord number one. Their first release is, you know, featuring Greg Anderson. And I put two and two together and realized, you know, that was Greg from Indian Kid and all those bands. So that's that was kind of how I uh, got into that kind of stuff. And that's where I first heard Thor's Hammer. I ordered the CD and 
Uh, and then not too long after that, I moved up to Boston. Uh, it was like the summer of 98, and that's the first time we actually met and talked and hung out. Uh, I was living up at the Hydra Head house, you know, with the ISIS guys and, and uh, Aaron Turner and all that. And uh, I'd help him package up orders for, for Hydra Head, and we'd go to the post office every couple of days and ship stuff out. And he'd always get demos, and he got a demo in the van one day. We were listening to it, and uh, it was real heavy, sludgy, like totally my type of thing. It was called Goat Snake. And then the vocals came on, and the vocals were not what either one of us were expecting. You know, they weren't like, we were more into a gruff kind of vocal style, screamy stuff. And uh, the vocals were like sung, you know, like like classic traditional doom, like candle mass or something. And we were both like, whoa, whoa, what the fuck? And I, I, if memory serves me correctly, I really liked it, and Aaron was a little bit put off by it. And, uh, you know, that band ended up being Goat Snake, and later down the road, Aaron would put out a Burning Witch Goat Snake split. So my long-winded story, that's how I found out about Burning Witch, was kind of through that whole process of like following Greg Anderson's career, who he did a short stint playing with Burning Witch for a while, although he's not on any of the recordings. Yeah, that's uh, that's the information I got too. Is that he was like a, I guess could be considered a uh, founding member, along with Stephen O'Malley and uh, Jamie Sykes, the original drummer. But Anderson left right. before anything was ever recorded. Um, he is on some live recordings though. Uh, I have a amazing vinyl box set that came out uh, via Southern Lord in I think 2011. And it's like four LPs in a DVD and like this crazy thick, awesome booklet with you know all the art by Steve O'Malley. Um, and that has the Towers EP, the Rift Canyon Dreams EP, the Bleeder Rift Canyon Dreams demos. And then it has two live shows on the DVD, live at the China Club, Ballard, Washington, 1996. And that set features Greg Anderson on second guitar. Oh, okay. Which is real, which is really cool. Um, and there's also a crazy. This is also on YouTube. This one is anyway. So it's from 1997, uh, from Ballard, Washington, called Twenty Nine Live, which I guess was like a public access kind of television show. And Burning Witch plays on there, and it's it's fucking so surreal, dude. It's like. This like young blonde girl comes on to like you know there's like the intro that shows like guys playing saxophones and like these like look like shitty like tier four grunge bands that would play it you know like bum out dudes you went to high school with and then like this like girl walks on she's like totally uncomfortable and she's like welcome to Twenty Nine Live move some furniture and make room to mosh here's Burning Witch and like you could see all Maui's face in the background and he just looks like he wants to kill her you know like. She's all happy, and they just kick into like the most fucking oppressively crushing <laughs> music ever. It's so it's so awesome. It's on YouTube. It's called uh, it's Burning Witch Live uh, Live at Twenty Nine Live. So people should check that out. It's like it's it's an awesome performance, but like the intro is so uncomfortable. It's awesome. <laughs> that sounds sick, man. I need I definitely need to check that out because uh, yeah, especially right at this moment because I have um reawakened my interest in slow music again it's like i i you know for the last eight nine years i just haven't really been into like doomy kind of stuff but now i'm like you know it's like winter out now supposedly we're supposed to get snow in a couple days and it's just perfect for listening to this type of music you know 
Yeah, man. You know, it's I'm a big into that kind of stuff. Like you know that. Like, but it's like any other genre, man. Like, there's a lot of great shit, but there's also a lot of like stuff that's just not that great or just bad. <laughs> you <know? laughs> or you know, let's be honest, bad. <laughs> That, yeah. And there's a lot of it just is like retreads of the previous thing. But there is some absolutely amazing shit out there, you know, for, for Doom and Sludge or whatever stupid name you want to attach to it. There's, you know, there's, there's a lot, a lot of great shit out there. And, and the Burning Witch is definitely one of the forefathers of that kind of music, you know. I mean, this band's before them, obviously. But uh, they're, they're one of, uh, like we always reference Winter and all those bands. They're definitely one of the OGs, you know. Although they came a bit later than some of those bands. Now, with respect to just their recorded material, there really is only two EPs: There's the Towers EP and then that Rift Canyon Dreams EP. Is that that's my understanding, at least? Yeah, there's like a demo and demo versions of some of the songs, but yes, there's really not only ten songs. Yeah, as far as ten or eleven, maybe twelve songs. As far as like right. proper releases go. But the funny thing about that, apparently Towers was recorded in uh, 95 with Steve Albini, but it didn't see the light of day until 1998. Well, uh, my, all right, my info is a little bit different on that. Okay. So, I don't know. I, yes, definitely recorded with Steve Albini, uh, 95 sounds right. I have it being released in 1996, the Towers 12-inch on, this is a whole other thing to itself, Slap-A-Ham Records. Which is primarily like a kind of power violence label. Uh, like, you know, Slap-A-Ham right. from back in the day. Yeah, like, totally kind of a left field release for them. Although, at the yeah, because the label kind of started, it definitely rooted more in the power violence or almost like a grind, the early grindcore scene. I remember Slapahan had those compilations, the Blee Arc yep. compilations. There were seven inches and it was like 64 bands or something. <laughs> Every song was like four seconds long. Um, but then, you know, uh, Slapahan was started by Chris Dodge, who was, you know, mastermind behind the band Spaz. And he also played in Infest and some other really cool bands within that scene. But uh, Slapahan... You know, they focused on that that power violence and grindcore stuff early on with bands like Crossed Out, Infest, stuff like that. But they also released early stuff by the Melvins, Fu Manchu. They did an I Hate God 13 split, which is a band that definitely fits in, in the category we talk about with like the early Doom with Winter and all that stuff. They're another New York band. Um, Liz Buckingham went on to play an Electric Wizard and Sour Vein. Um, so 13 has some definitely deep roots, you know, in that scene as well. Uh, but yeah, I was listening to an interview with Chris Dodge from, from Slapaham recently. And it's also, he has some cool liner notes in that burning witch box set. And he said, at the time it came out, there were a few who criticized me for not sticking to the formula of Slapaham. Instead, instead I put out a classic doom album with Getty Lee style vocals. <laughs> <laughs> Which is funny. I don't think of that. But when he, now that I read that, when oh I should, you, you can kind of. It sounds like if Getty Lee was in like a fucking you know, he's a Doom band, it might sound like him. You know, That's fuck, um, I, I never would have made that connection, man. 
<laughs> no, I guess, you know, what he was saying, like people were real, a lot of people were real bummed out at the time that he put that out. They're like, what the, what the fuck is this? I guess O'Malley had mailed him a demo, the recordings or the recordings, like and he, he loved it, but he, at the time he couldn't put it out. So he had it like for like a year. It was in his car. He said he would just listen to the tape over and over and over and over. And finally the tape, the tape broke. So he was like, fuck, like, I, now I got to hit this oh, Steve O'Malley guy back up. And like, I told him I didn't want to put out his band, but like, I want another copy. <laughs> so he's like, you know, you hit him back up. And he's like, listen, man, I, I'll put this out. You know, um, he said the label, like didn't have other releases or like booked. He's like, fuck it. He loved it so much. He had to hit him up for another tape. So he inevitably put it out. And it was definitely a sore thumb record for slap a hand. And one of the last ones that he did, I believe, but, you know, he goes on to say, you know, some people understood the greatness of it, and he was very proud of it, and he still is that he released it. So it's kind of a cool story that it ended up coming out in Slap a Hand. Although, I'm, I don't, maybe it was 98. I don't know. For, what I found, it was 96, but, you know, it doesn't matter. But that also speaks to some of the, the a topic that comes up frequently with uh, when we talk about stuff that came out in the 90s. is like just a fucking, like, totally rigid definition between all these different genres of music and how people like would uh you know they weren't honest with themselves by thinking they were such uh free thinking individuals yet were completely conforming to uh you know these very very rigid guidelines and i always thought that was very ironic about the 90s in general and probably still exists on some level except i do i do think that people are a little bit more uh open to the side-to-side movement of uh, cross-genre hybridization, you know? Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, you know, we, we always reference back, uh, I feel like over the last year or two, some of these episodes we did, um, the Godin slash, you know, we talked about winter a lot in the I Hate God episode that we did, Buzz Oven. It always comes back to, like, the power violence scene and some of these labels, like uh, a couple more, like that Bovine Records out of Madison, Wisconsin. They were kind of in that power violence game a little bit too. And then ended up putting out records by floor and grief and I hate God 16, and uh, pessimizer right? records 16. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. same thing with uh, pessimizer out in LA. They had the 16 grief split tenant and uh, a bunch of that kind of stuff. But all of those labels were great. Discovering those labels in the, in the nineties for me was like awesome. Cause I was really getting into that style of music, you know, and finding these cool, like obscure labels, putting out bands like 16 and, grief and i hate god and fucking you know it was it was awesome man like i think those labels are kind of like underrated when it comes to heavy music so the uh the actual uh classic you know you said in air quotes lineup of uh of a, of um <clears throat> burning witch uh it would featured as we were saying uh steve o'malley uh the greg greg anderson both on guitar jamie sykes Stuart g gordon I'm sorry. Wait, Stuart Stuart G. Dahlquist on bass and vocalist Edgy Fifty Nine. <laughs> That's a fucking sick name, man. Yeah, man. Uh, he kind of like just a scary. I mean, obviously, I've got to see them, but I've been I've been checking out these live performances and. The one from uh, the Pioneer Theater in Seattle, 1996, man. They're like kind of like hanging around on stage, like waiting to play, you know, like, I don't know, the sound guys probably, you know, taking a shit or something and wait, waiting for them. And it's like, they just look so 
one of our favorite words, sketchy. You know, they look so like sketchy and fucked up. Like O'Malley, you know, you know, I've, I've seen him perform a million times, especially with Sun. Um, but he's just standing there. He's all black. He's got leather pants on and like two full spiked gauntlets. You know, um, and and uh, Edgy Fifty Nine. He's also got like the leather pants. And, crazy like spiked hair it looks like some like bastard child of like a discharge roadie and like a Bauhaus fucking uh, fanatic you know like he just looks crazy you know like, awesome. my favorite is uh, Stuart Dauntless is the bass player he's like he's just standing there with no, no shirt on and like blue jeans like, ro- with a, like rolled up with combat boots on and like his shirt is like hanging from the back pocket of his jeans <laughs> <laughs> They just look like so fucking sketchy, man. It's it's awesome. And the set is great. You know, it's a great performance. But uh, they just look like you look at that band, you're like, fucking bands don't look like that anymore, man. You know, this guy just looks fucking so like trouble, you yeah. know? And, <laughs> and that cool. was uh that was the lineup for the Towers recording, minus uh Greg Anderson. So uh yeah. Yeah, right. Right. So for uh, their second EP, the Rift Canyon Dreams EP, uh, they replaced Sykes with uh, Brad. All capitals. <laughs> That's you know, Brad. Yeah. I think I'm going to go by Mike. Just Mike. All capitals. <laughs> all caps. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. I don't know if you can pull that off, but you can try. <laughs> well, I think because everyone else, at least, you know, the the you know, friends I have, like the two or three people that I have as friends, like know me as Mike Hill. So I don't know, might not work. <laughs> True. It's a small, it's a small fan base to turn. You might be able to pull it off after all. Yeah. So this record has come out, this uh, Cripple Lucifer record has come out in a, several different uh, incarnations, it seems like. Yeah. Definitely, man. Because I bought the, I didn't have any of the original twelve inches, the Slap a Ham one, or Rift Canyon Dreams came out on a label called Merciless. Who I'm not even sure who that is. Probably some small boutique label or to the label I'm not familiar with. But then, yeah, from you know, once again, seeing the ads for Southern Lord in that Resound magazine, the next ad I believe I seen the Crippled Lucifer, Burning Witch Crippled Lucifer CD appeared. And uh, that was both the EPs combined on the CD. That see that, that was released in 1998, according to what I found. Um, so I ordered that, you know, and I, I got that when it came out, and I, I fucking loved it. But then, yes, it's come out different incarnations. There was the box that I was telling you about, which I believe was 2011, and right around that time, maybe a bit before, they did a double CD version of Cripple Lucifer which is like repackaged with a, uh, basically the same booklet that's in the LP, but just obviously smaller. Um, and some of the stuff is still out there to get the LP box set. It's hard to find. It's on Discogs. You pay fortune for it, but some of the CDs are still out there to get. I think it's on the Southern Lord Bandcamp page too. And it's definitely on Apple music and some of the streaming services. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's weird. It's like, you know, 10 songs it has been released like six times. Yeah, and the packaging's cool. Like on the on the LP version, like the double LP version, I think the packaging's pretty pretty uh, cool. It's got like a good album cover, and, and that was the thing about Southern Lord. It's like they, they that's that's one of the early labels I think, along with Hydrahead, that 
started that um, move to really pay attention to the creative end of packaging. Yeah, I felt like those Absolutely. Early, early releases had really cool, you know, they used better paper and there was a, a real uh, attention paid to artwork and things like that. Yeah, I, I don't. I think those two labels like really set the bar for packaging. I mean, all the all their records, fucking pretty awesome. Look pretty awesome, you know. Between uh, Hydrahead and Southern Lord, um, yeah, that the cover of the the re-release, the double CD, the double uh, the LP, the box set is that awesome Theodore Kittleson painting, which has also been used. Uh, I think some some black metal bands have definitely used it. I know Outburst has used some of his art in different black metal bands, but that is an amazing uh, cover for the, for the re-release of Crippled Lucifer. Now, one of the questions I have actually is if you, I don't know if you know the answer, but was Goat Snake active? I know they were act, they've been active in recent years, but what what's the output like for Goat Snake? That's a band I'm not that familiar with either. Um, yeah, I, I love Goat Snake, man. Um, they, I believe they formed, you know, after Greg, well, they definitely formed after Greg left Burning Witch. I think they may have coincided for a little while at the same time, because the first Goat Snake album came out in 99. So there might've been some, some overlap there, but they, uh, yeah, Goat Snake has three full lengths and then a few EPs. Um, the first one came out in 99 and the most recent album came out in 2015. Um, they're awesome, man. If you're not familiar with them, Pete Stahl is the vocalist who is the vocalist for Scream, old DC band. Um, and it's cool. It's real. It's more rock based than like Burning Witch or any that kind of stuff, but it's still like real tuned down heavy as hell, but the vocals are more of like a classic doom feel. Like uh, Pete Stahl can really belt it out, man, you know? And um, they've had different lineups over the years. Uh, Scott Reeder was on bass for a while. Stuart Dahlquist was on bass for a while from Burning Witch. Um, they've had different drummers and uh, kind of a revolving cast, but mainly Pete Stahl and Greg Anderson have been the mainstays for Goat Snake. I definitely recommend checking out any of this stuff, man. Especially if you're in the mood now to like check out some of that kind of stuff. I think you dig it. Yeah. I had that, uh, the split they did with, uh, you know, with burning witch. Cause you know, I, I have a lot of those early Hydra head releases from the late nineties. Right. And, um, and that, I thought it was pretty cool. We, um, yeah, those two guys, Anderson and O'Malley, they really operate. They've kind of defined this, um, the sound really in a lot of ways, at least in the United States, which a lot of people have taken as influences in the, you know, going onward into the time. You know? Definitely, man. I mean, Southern Lord recordings, man, when they started putting out records, I, I had my attention right away, as I said before, and that really, really kind of shaped a lot of my listening and influences kind of in the late nineties and, uh, you know, for writing music and stuff. I mean, you know, Thor's Hammer, Burning Witch, they did the Obsessed Incarnate Collection, was kind of, was kind of my gateway drug into the Obsessed. I love, uh, oh, you know, they put out an early Electric Wizard recording called Super Coven, another band I like. Another band on Southern Lord that they released, put out one album, and it's a classic, is uh, War Horse, as Heaven Turns to Ash. Um, 
out of all the stuff we're talking about, I would recommend you checking that record out. War Horse. It's one of the heaviest records ever made, man. It's <laughs> dark. It's crushing. It's yeah, they're from Worcester, Massachusetts, actually. Uh, and they just reformed a couple of years ago. Oh, cool. They hadn't done anything for a long, long, long time. I believe they split in like 99 or 2000. Um, 2001, maybe they split. But uh, yeah, that record, uh, War Horses, Heaven Turns to Ash, to me is like right up there. As classic as the Burning Witch stuff, as classic as the Winter Into Darkness album, to me it's definitely in that category. It's one of the best Doom albums of all time. A couple of years ago at Maryland Death Festival, we played with uh, on a bill with um, Goat Snake and Winter and Neurosis, actually, for that matter. And uh, that's, a, that's, a, that's a heavy bill. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Um, Fuck. It was like the out when they had uh, the, the parking lot venue, you know, like it was outside and um, it was fucking cool. And yeah, I saw Goat Snake. The dude had like a harmonica and stuff. I, I don't know how into it I was. It was, um, but it, it was cool. But just, it didn't really, to me, it stuck out a little bit. I mean, you had Winter, you know, who was just fucking. Right, right. And then like this guy <laughs> with a harmonica playing like kind of like more well, on the rock rock end of things, you know. I'll tell you this. I would, if I were you, I'd go back and revisit those records because yes, there is a song or two that has a harmonica. Um, and they have definitely some more upbeat rock and stuff, but overall, I think you'd really enjoy the, the Goat Snake catalog. Most of it is, you know, I was not going to say it's as dark as those bands, but it's definitely uh, down-tuned and there's t- some great heavy slow riffs. Uh, it's not all, you know, it doesn't all sound like Black Oak, Arkansas. I always say that because they <laughs> cover a Black Oak. They covered a Black Oak, Arkansas song on one of their EPs, which is fucking amazing. But uh I would definitely go back and check them out. Like if you have that like kind of thought in your head, like, oh, this is going to be like some like, you know, more of like a quote unquote stoner rock band. Another term I love, you know, (laughs) it's not, it's they're they're like way, if they get grouped in that, they're like the cream of the crop for that and definitely heavier than most of that stuff. So I wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't hesitate going back and checking out Goat Snake. You know, Um, I think you dig it more now than you probably did at the time. You know, now with Apple Music, you can uh, safely check out some of these bands and not have to invest any uh, any kind of money into it, you know, which is kind of cool. Besides from your uh, monthly yeah. subscription, you know. And then, if you know, you go on Apple Music and if you like it, then, you you know, you can go spend, you know, $50 to buy the out-of-print vinyl on Discogs. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Southern World uh, Records, are you, have you heard that band The Want? Which is like one of uh, one of their either second. I think it might have been Southern Lord two. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely love that record. Bought the CD back in the day at some record store. You know when I seen it. Sounds a lot like uh, Led Zeppelin. Sounds uh, very much like I Led would Zeppelin. Yeah. Love that record. They they reissued it finally a couple of years ago. Uh, on vinyl, and I picked it up. And I never owned. I don't even know if it ever came out on vinyl initially i had the cd but yeah i was so stoked they reissued that because i thought that was something that they just would never would put out again you know because i don't know what the interest would be but the want i believe they're from long island or new york somewhere um let me see i i want to i want to know now where they're from uh it says new jersey i think that makes sense okay all right yeah yeah um 
Yeah, I never got to see him or anything, but I, I love that record, man. That I, that's still a record I listen to pretty fr- frequently. The uh, it's funny that's that's probably maybe two thousand three. I was living with my, yeah. my uh, you know Brooklyn and and uh, my roommate at the time. He had a bunch of. He was like t- tied into all kinds of stuff. He's actually the guy who turned me on to Lurker or Chalice, believe it or not. And uh, oh wow, okay. Yeah, so he had the Want CD, which he just gave me the actual disc, you know. So I have, you know, the proper CD release of that record too. And, uh, oh, nice band. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so that was, it was pretty cool. Very like Led Zeppelin, who I you know I, I love Zeppelin. You know, I'm not uh yeah yeah too, too cool to say I like Led needy. Zeppelin. Imagine someone who's like I don't like Zeppelin. <laughs> no, I got no need for anyone like that. Really. Yeah. <laughs> Or Sabbath. <laughs> if you don't like Sabbath and Zeppelin, I don't really have much use for you. I guess you know. I don't know. Southern Lord though is one of those bands that it's like I um I never think about them too often, but then I realize like how many of their records I actually have, and I have a ton of stuff that they put out. Yeah, they're one of my favorite labels. I mean, they've as the years go on, that haven't put out as much new music that I like, they've kind of, they still put out definitely like doom and stuff like that. But, uh, they put a lot more like D beat and like hardcore, different kind of hardcore, thrashy kind of stuff. You know, some of it's cool. like just not super into it, but they do do amazing reissues and, you know, me, you, and I think one other person out there are, are huge fans of the Caspar Brotsman massacre. And the fact that he reissued those first five records by them to me was like, when I seen that, I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe they were doing that. You know, I was so psyched because I didn't own any of those original records. Um, So they do awesome stuff like that. And of course, you know, we'd be remiss if we don't mention Sun, you know, that's going on to be a huge band and, you know, Greg and Steve O'Malley. Uh, they put out, they released the majority of the Sun records, and I'm also a big fan of. So, yeah, Southern Lord is a, probably one of my favorite labels still, even though they don't pump out as much stuff that I'm into as they used to. I still think they're an amazing label. I, I have like a complicated uh, relationship with Sun because I, at first I didn't buy into it, man. Like, I wasn't on board initially. I thought, like, I'm like, man, this is just like that Earth record, but done differently a little bit. And then. I think that I really didn't embrace them until you and I started driving down to uh, to New Jersey for practice together. And um, I don't know. I think it's like a long-form type of thing that you have to uh, absorb as like one piece, you know? And uh, It is. Yeah. yeah. and Or like a, a soundtrack or a film. It's like a score or, you know, you have to listen to it differently than I think I was initially, you know, using those the different lens, you know? And now I'm all into it, man. I like Sun. I'm a I'm a fan. I mean, I, you know, I I'm embarrassed to say that I have never seen them live, and I think that, based on what everyone else tells me, is the true way you're supposed to experience the music. I was just gonna go there. Yeah, I, <laughs> definitely. Their records are all cool. Definitely should be listened to. Like, you know, I'm I'm not gonna like. There's a time and a place where I want to listen to those records. You know what I mean? Uh, Good to be in the mood for it, et cetera. But like live is the shit. I've been going to see them for a long time since like the early days when they just did the guitar duo. It was just the two of them. 
uh, all the way and up until the last tour they did. And they've definitely evolved. Uh, the music has evolved. The live show has evolved. And the last like two or three times I've seen them have been just stunning performances, man. It's totally amazing. Like they have, they incorporated, like obviously they're famous for the smoke. Like, you know, they smoke out the room. So you can hardly see, like, that's how it started now. But they incorporate, they incorporate that smoke now with like also like light shows. And when they have, uh, light shows but like cool lighting and uh not like you know images and stuff but like the band becomes the images now they usually have three four or five people on stage uh you know they still wear the robes and all that but when they have attila the man vocalist a lot of times with them and he has these crazy costumes and it's just like a real theatrical kind of thing and sonically it's amazing you know yeah that's uh once we return to live music, I'm going to make that a priority to uh, to see them live. You know, definitely would recommend it to anybody who's a fan of live music. Like, I don't care if you're a Sun fan. I don't even care if you're into heavy music. It's kind of it's more of an experience. You know, um, very cool. Yeah, I don't know what Sun records. I'll send you like with my, my personal two favorite Sun records later. Oh, I've been listening to them quite a bit actually. Uh, and like I okay. said, back to like when you and I used to drive down to, to practice, uh, you know, on, on the weekends, that's when I started checking them out again. Cause, uh, that was right around the same time I got, uh, Apple music and I was like, Oh, let me listen to this record and all this other stuff, you know? And, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I suck, man. It's like, I, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like such a fucking like poser for not really embracing these guys in the beginning. You know, it's like uh, I, I was too much of a fucking curmudgeon, I think, or something. I don't know. I, I suck. You know, it's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, I can kind of see. I mean, I mean, they're, the thing is, they're very open about it. Like, you know, they they started the band as basically like a fucking tribute band to Earth 2. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, yeah. like they don't hide that. And their first couple of releases are very, very similar to what was happening on Earth 2. But it's cool that they kind of evolved. Because, like, I don't think the records they make now have that much in common. I mean, you know, it's still in the same arena, but the cop incorporated some vocals and some more instrumentation and different instruments. And, like, uh, I, yeah, I think they've taken it on a whole other level compared to, like, the early Earth recordings, which I love those Earth recordings, but they've kind of pushed the boundaries a little more. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could see why you would have those kind of thoughts. Um you know, before we wrap up, another band that we, we have to mention that came out of the ashes of Burning Witch besides Sun was probably, I like even more than Sun, was Connie. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I have them here on my list of uh, definitely mentions because that's, that's like a direct disciple of uh, Burning Witch, man. It's like, it's almost like if Absolutely. the band had stayed together, that's what they would have turned into, you know? Yeah, I was going to say, like, in my notes, I have, like, the most, there's a lot of, you know, other projects that we talked about, Goat Snake, uh, there was Ozva, there was the Poison Glass, there's all these offshoot bands, but Connie, uh, even though there's only one member of Burning Witch, Steve O'Malley, it's like, it sounds very much like it, it would, the, the self-titled, the first two Connie records, the self-titled and Things Viral, those to me sound like they could have very easily been material, maybe, that was Burning Witch stuff, or... Uh, and Alan Dubin, the vocalist for Connie, he kind of sounds very similar to Edgy Fifty Nine from Burning Witch in the in the delivery. I don't know if you feel that way, but well, so much so that I thought it was the same guy actually. 
like when I first okay. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Connie was a band, man. Those first, I, I liked their whole catalog, but those first two records and seeing them live around that time, they were just devastating, incredibly heavy, incredibly loud. Uh, huge fan of that band. Uh, I wish they would uh, make more music. Yeah, I saw them with uh, Orthrealm. <laughs> Remember that band with uh, mm. yeah, like yes, that's I uh. Do. It was a pretty pretty weird uh, pairing of bands, but it was very cool. And uh, yeah, at this place called Tonic um, in like Lower Manhattan, uh, that had something to do with uh, John Zorn. It was like primarily known for experimental music and that kind of thing. So uh, okay, yeah, it was like I went to the show. It was like a bunch of douchebags, and uh, you know me. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> so, is that different than any other show yeah it is because it's like it's like this <laughs> the type of people who are like oh, you know check me out i i like Mersbo, you know like that kind of thing you know <laughs> uh, you, uh, you gotta mention sonic youth i'm waiting for you to mention <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know like so would like that would have probably appreciated that style of music you know but whatever it's cool i liked it i thought it was i had a good time that night yeah, I see them a few times. Uh, I see them at the Middle East upstairs one time uh, with ISIS and maybe twenty seven or something. And uh, I was, you know, I was in before the show. The friends with the ISIS guys were in there hanging out, and uh, kind of started to sound check. It was the loudest thing I've ever heard in my life. I bet louder than Motorhead, louder than Motorhead, louder than Neurosis louder than a lot of things that are really fucking loud. You know, I spent my whole life going to see really loud music. But, dude, I thought the building was going to fucking collapse when they were sound checking. It was, it was so incredible. Really loud. It was, wow. Uh, it was insane. It was the Middle East downstairs? Upstairs. Upstairs. Holy shit. Which is like this, probably, this, you know, the size of your apartment. I mean, it's fucking, that was a small room, you know? Yeah, you're probably right, actually. Yeah, I don't, never been to your apartment, but it was about the size of an average apartment. You know, it was a small fucking room, but they were they were pushing the max volume that you could push in that in that venue. Fucking insane, dude. Uh, but yeah, Connie, the great, probably my favorite of uh, you know the spinoff bands from uh, Burning Witch. All right, man. That's uh, that's our uh, praise of. Burning Witch, and apparently uh, all of Southern Lord's records. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, I want to end it quick with a uh, another quote from the liner notes of the Burning Witch box set. This one from our mutual friend Aaron Turner from Hankelhead uh, Records, Isis Sumac. He has a, uh, a nice little write-up in there about Burning Witch, and the last line is, when I first heard Burning Witch, I laughed. Then I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think kind of sums it up because, you know, it's kind of a shocking listen at first to some people. And then I think eventually you understand, like, you know, the depths of it. So I thought that was a pretty cool quote. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. 
for one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.